Hello, welcome to the Jew3 Project Podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Fields. I'm the founder of the Jew3 Project. Well, thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project Podcast. As always, I'm your host, Lisa Fields, the founder of the Jude 3 Project. And today I'm joined by a very special guest, Dr. Van Gaten. Dr. Van Gaten is not only a board member for the Jude 3 Project, he is one of my mentors and has been very uh, pivotal, 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 ah, I can't say the word today, um, in my <laughs> life um, as me going through seminary and starting the Jude 3 Project. So welcome, Dr. Gaten. Well, thank you for having me, Lisa. It's a pleasure to be here today. Um, for those who missed uh, the episode you did a while back, just give them a brief overview of who you are. Well, uh, who am I? That's a good question. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, presently, I'm a, uh, I am a, I've been a pastor for many years. I've been a chaplain for the Federal Bureau of Prisons. I've been a professor in a couple of universities and taught in seminary. I uh, have uh, three doctorates, one in theology, one in Bible philosophy, one in leadership. I've taught in a couple Christian private schools. I've been a principal and a Bible instructor teaching philosophy, Christian ethics, and theology. And I've uh, been married to my wife for 45 years, my high school sweetheart. And uh, <clears throat> I've traveled the world giving lectures. I also do debates in universities uh, with theistic worldview, and living in Jacksonville, Florida for the last 13 years and loving golf. Amen. I think that was a good, <laughs> a good introduction. So um, something you always talk to me about is um, the documentary hypothesis. Um, and I thought it would be good for you to shed some light on it because it is really when you look at the conservative liberal rift in universities yeah. and seminaries, it is a big part yeah. of it. Um, yes. Could you shed some light for our listeners on um, the history um, documentary? How Glad to. For those who don't yes. Know? Well, the the um, documentary hypothesis was first discovered and used by in the 18th century by a gentleman by the name of Ostrock, and he noticed different names for God uh, in Moses' writings, and he deduced from that that there were two different documents that Moses used to construct the Pentateuch. And then in 1878, a Dr. Wellhausen, a German, uh, expanded Ostrock's version of the two documents to what he called the JEPD document. And uh, each one of those, the J document, the E document, the D document, and the P document, represented where the writings came from. For instance, in Genesis 2 and 4, uh, it describes anthropomorphically the names of God, Yahweh, Adam. And so they said that Genesis 2 is actually a second story of creation that runs all the way to Mount Sinai. And then the E document uh, deal is a supplement to the J document where the name Elohim is mentioned. And instead of Mount Sinai, as the J document used, 
the Mount Horeb is mentioned in the uh, E document. And so then down to the D document, uh, which is from the book of Deuteronomy primarily, that there were three speeches and central worship is accentuated. And uh, also we have, uh, they believe it was written during Josiah's reform because of this centralized worship thing. And then the P document is basically um, found in Numbers and Leviticus because it deals with rituals, dietary laws, holiness, God's transcendence, uh, and that it was during the post-exilic period in Babylon that the priests actually took a final look at all these documents and uh, put them together. But one of their main arguments is that that all of the writings of Moses in the Pentateuch are a description from the 10th century on, looking back, saying this is how Israel wanted the story to be. This is what they would have wanted God to say. And so these are not actual events, but the wishes and desires of a 10th century Israel looking back and putting together their history, uh, which is a totally different views. And this all took place simply because uh, it's a historical reconstruction, if if you would, and and, and in an effort by the people who espoused the documentary hypothesis to explain uh, what they considered contradictions uh, relative to dates and doublets and anachronisms and hypothetical and, you know, in in the story. And so this was their explanation. But something else I think that is very important to the discussion of of the critics, this is what we call source criticism. Uh, These people were, it's an analytical tool uh, to explain and analyze what they saw in the writings themselves. Um, and, And there's nothing wrong with taking a critical look at the Word of God. But what is essential is the basic presupposition that you hold in looking at this Bible, this Pentateuch, the Word of God. And there are two separate schools of thought. So although we could deliberate over all the details on both sides, at the root level, the issue really is this. Um, Do you believe that the Word of God, the first five books about the story of Israel and God, do you believe that Uh, in the supernatural, or do you not believe in the supernatural? So that's your basic presupposition. So if you you follow the documentary hypothesis, uh, what you are saying is that the evidence, uh, there's a natural evolutionary explanation for everything that you read uh, in the Word of God, but it absolutely rules out any idea of the supernatural. Now, the only problem that I see with that is that, you know, from the birth of Christ into the world and the creation of the world itself, uh, those are all supernatural things. Those are metaphysical. They're beyond the physical. And I believe where the documentary hypothesis people go wrong is that they have accepted a scientific premise that says, only that which can be, uh, you can use your senses to know and understand, is real. So they don't believe in anything beyond the material 
the natural world. Mm-hmm. And, uh, of course, our argument is that uh, we believe in the laws of nature, but also nature's God, so where they just go. So there are two groups that are, 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 are um, the document hypothesis is their basis. You have the atheists, but you also have uh, liberals who don't believe in the supernatural that will espouse that. Well, I was once speaking at a at a Georgetown University to a group of scholars um, who were people that believed in the documentary hypothesis. And so, a room of a hundred scholars, all PhDs, and I had listened to four or five speakers before I spoke. And I said to them, uh, "You know, if I had not experienced personally the power of God to transform my life." I might have believed you as well, but since I have already experienced his power, I know that God intervenes supernaturally into the affairs of men. I know that the stories of the Word of God are true because of the transformation of my own life and many other people that I know. So when you remove the supernatural from the Word of God, it is not like other religions. If you, you know, other religions that we study, uh, there is no supernatural element. But when you take the supernatural element out of Christianity, there is no Christianity. Mm-hmm. So this, to me, is essential uh, to the faith. And uh, I consider it heresy, personally, to leave uh, God out of his own creation and and restrict him that even if he does exist, he cannot intervene into the affairs of men. Now, if he created it in the first place, and if he created the laws of nature in the first place, why does he not have a right to intervene anytime he chooses to bring to pass his purposes and to care for his people? So in other words, uh, God didn't open the Red Sea. Just It's just a great wind that day that blew the waters open. And there's no manna from heaven. Of course, in the New Testament, there's no opening the eyes of the blind. There's no healing the sick, well, the, then the whole power of the of God is lost. And it's a very naturalistic um, worldview, for sure. Mm-hmm. And uh, therefore, where is the good news? Mm-hmm. I mean, Lisa, where where is the good news if you take uh, God out of the picture? So you have uh, philosophers like George Hegel, Immanuel Kant, uh, others that... Um, purport that, um, you know, that uh, a priori, that they understand that there is no supernatural basis for anything. So your starting point um, will determine how you interpret what you read. So if you believe in a closed universe of cause and effect, um, then there is no outside intervention. Uh, if you believe in an open universe into which God as creator can intervene and pass through and suspend laws that he created whenever he wants to, then there is room for the supernatural. And that really is the bottom line. And so the question becomes that everybody has what we call first principles in life, things that we believe are true, even though we may not be able to uh, prove them. Mm -hmm. And so therefore, everybody is engaged in, to some degree, uh, circular reasoning. And, uh, but you can move on from there to, um, to narrative reasoning, 
and uh, further explanation if you choose to. And I think I think that um, the people that are of the documentary hypothesis have allowed um, atheistic scientists. Remember, Wellhausen is German, mm-hmm. and uh, the the, the uh, whole part of the Protestant movement taking place there. But you had the Enlightenment. You had the intellectuals uh, choosing to be, everything can be, you know, back to the Greeks, man is the measure of all things. So by our own intellect, um, rational skills, we can achieve, understand, unlock the secrets of the universe, and there's no need for a supernatural God. So when the church bows to this secular worldview, because that's what it comes to, then we have to compromise and and then talk about the religion itself evolved and uh and that is very so another argument that they bring up is that uh you know Moses um you know they weren't writing back in those days they cl- they claimed that they weren't writing back in those days mm-hmm. well Lisa, i want to take a i want you to i want to take a, a make mention of a few other forms of criticism that lead to the criticism that I think works best because I do believe we should have analytical tools to look at the word of God as well as the spirit of God helping us. Mm -hmm. So I don't believe there's a conflict. I believe they can be a compliment, but there were other views, uh, since Wellhausen, um, form criticism came to pass, uh, tradition criticism, which focuses, focuses in on the transmission of tradition, uh, then we have, but the one that I like is called archaeological data, and that to me is where science uh, is very helpful, because just recently, and and, and Dr. Albright uh, is considered one of the foremost. Uh, he was, he's passed away, but one of the foremost archaeologists, and the amount of material, because remember I said that this historic reconstruction is because there's so, so many things in the Word of God that appeared as contradictions or there was no proof of it, and so they just felt like these stories were made up. Well, now we have the input of archaeology that is proving over and over again that some of the things that we thought uh, were contradictions can totally be cleared up. Mm-hmm. And thank, thank God for archaeology because that that is proving the point, not disproving the Word of God. Now, the Word of God is the Word of God, whether archaeology can back it up or not, but it is it is a wonderful thing that, that human history and Israel in light of God is a factual event, and that God's, like, for instance, um, they argue that certain cities that were mentioned in Moses' writings, uh, where are they? They're not on the planet. Well, through archaeology... We discovered that uh, back in those ancient world, they built cities on top of cities. <laughs> and all you had to do is like dig down and boom, you found a whole other city. And here's the city that's mentioned in the word of God. So here's proof that the Bible wasn't wrong. Or you say Moses, and back in that time, uh, people weren't writing. They weren't literate. But then archaeology has proved that civilizations right around the area that Moses lived in and that Abraham minister uh, lived in, uh, that people were writing. We, we have now discovered through archaeology that they were writing. And, and here, here is proof positive 
that what Bellhausen said way back then uh, is not true because now archaeology has proved that there isn't a reasonable explanation to what appeared as contradictions and doublets. Uh, there's not two creation stories. Uh, and, you know, it was Aristotle, Lisa, that put out this dictum that said when it, come to, when it comes to literary writings, the proper thing is that as you read an author's writings and you run into something that you don't understand or doesn't make sense, the right attitude is say, well, then there's something I'm missing that is not making this document clear to me. But you do not assume that the author did not know what he was talking about. So redactionists today uh, just presume that they know more than anybody else from the ancient world or anyone else's writing. Mm -hmm. And uh, therefore, uh, there can be no supernatural, and these are made-up stories, and any intelligent person would see that. Um, For instance, the resurrection. I mean, wow. There's the foundation of our Christianity. Um, you've got many uh, that that really is a philosophical speculation, and more so than uh, you know the here the historical bias of there is no resurrection flows out of a philosophical uh, prejudice actually more than uh, anything that is theological or historical. Um, so if you're an anti supernaturalist then you, even if the facts are presented to you clearly, even if archaeology and systems of law and testimony that we use in a court are presented to you, many times these people who are uh, against it uh, can say, well, I can't argue those facts, but my worldview won't let me accept the, your conclusion. Mm-hmm. They can... They can hear what you're saying and agree with your points, but they cannot accept your conclusion because then they'd have to change their whole worldview. Mm-hmm. So that is the problem. And I've visited many churches where, and schools where, where this, uh, this idea of um, being anti-supernatural, following the documentary hypothesis, that although it can sound very heady and intellectual, uh, there's no transformative power to it. Mm-hmm. People's lives are not being changed. They're not being drawn to the Lord and experiencing God as we know he can be experienced. And what, what a terrible way to exist, to talk about a, a religion that offers so much, but you get so little. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and therefore, mainline churches are drying up, people are leaving, because they crave for something that is real, that is transcendent, that offers them hope and change, and that should be the gospel to them. Mm-hmm. So, I, I mean, it's like a, a doctor in a hospital with no no tools in the um, surgery room to change. He know, you know, he just can't operate because he has no tools. And so, to me, a clergy in a pulpit or a professor in a college that's teaching the Word of God, I mean, they have no tool because they deny the power of God. Mm-hmm. And therein, and all of this in hopes that the world will look at the church and see us as being intellectual, that we're as smart as anyone else, 
And I don't know why we think we have to bow down to the world. I don't know why we have to impress them. And I do believe that we can be very intellectual and at the same time believe in the supernatural. And there have there are many, many, many scholars and pastors and missionaries who have great educations, who have experienced and promote uh, the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that desperately uh, needs to hear that message. We also have the testimony of church fathers. I mean, the church fathers like uh, um, Cyril of Jerusalem and Hillary and Augustine, um, they all believe that the Word of God was true. And the Jewish community, let's not forget that, um, the Talmud and all the other writings, they attest to the fact that they believe these are the true writings of Moses, and that in the Old Testament, many times in the first five books it says, and God spoke to Moses and said. Now, to the documentary hypothesis people, they say that was made up. God didn't speak to Moses. Israel is talking in Babylon, post-exilic. They're talking about the way they wish the story had been, or the way they wanted God to have talked to them and done things for them, but that these events really did not happen. And, and I think the Spirit bears witness to the truth. And for those of us who, have, who know the Lord personally, and when we read the Bible, uh, yes, we look at something and say, hey, wait a minute, uh, that, that, that does look like you just repeated something. I mean, you know, Abraham married a woman so pretty that she, he lied to the people and said it was his sister. And then the son did the same, two sons did the very same thing. Come on, I mean, come on, all three guys did the very same thing. Well, if they lived in basically the same cultures and they all married beautiful women, and uh, it's very possible, but you just write it off that that's just a repeat from different times and different authors. I mean, Moses picked on two or three different other documents. And here's, Lisa, here's another big question. If Moses drew from two other source documents, and if Bellhausen believed that there were four main documents, then where are the documents that they drew from? Somebody show me the original documents that Moses copied or that Bellhausen came up with. I mean, where is the copy? So maybe those are the ones that are made up. (laughs) (laughs) And Moses got it right. I mean, we could throw this argument back in their face. Show me the money, we say. Show me the money. Show uh, me the original documents. Peter Williams was on actually a few weeks I think a couple of weeks ago and he was just um, talking about the same issue, not the documentary hypothesis per se, but just how um, other scholars try to discredit the old Testament. And one of the reasons, one of the things he said was no other book um, talks about it's no other group of people in history or history books. He knows talks about themselves in such a negative way. If they were yeah. writing an ideal version of themselves, they wrote a bad ideal because Israel constantly yeah. fell off. Um, if Moses was making this up, I'm sure he would have written himself in going into the promised land. Um, right. Yes. It just seems like you, a horrible story to write for yourself. If yes. it didn't happen, and this you know, is the ideal. Yes. And the ancient world 
they were more animist. They believed in supernatural things. It's only the modern man and the modern mind coming out of the Enlightenment that for all those years, thousands of years before, there was no problem with these ideas until the Enlightenment, until, and again, mainly coming out of Germany, and that the rest of Europe and now American have followed the lead of these German scholars, which I'm not afraid of uh, criticism, I mean, which simply means I'm just trying to analyze and look more clearly at what's before me, but, but when you have a, 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 a rationalistic uh, worldview that says, no amount of evidence can lead me to think that God really talked to Moses. I mean, you know, you're just standing your ground in human wisdom and understanding, and that is so limited within itself that um, it, it's an arrogant thought to think that we can outthink God. Very true. Yes. Um, how so, is, go ahead, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Um, and so this is where the breakup comes in in the seminaries and universities, as you were saying. Yes. In fact, one time I was visiting UNF uh, because they had expanded their religion department. And so I took uh, three teachers, all have master, master's degrees in theology, and we went to this opening event, and they had brought in a guest speaker, and I can't remember his name or where he's from, but the four of us being trained in theology in Vinsu Seminary, we listened to his presentation, and we tried to follow him, and what we notice is that when you don't believe in a transcendent truth or an absolute, this guy was treading the ridge between potential truth and speculation with the skill of a mountain goat. And by the time by the time he got through with this message, we were confused because he never landed anywhere. He just kept skipping around, avoiding the ultimate conclusion, then off to the next, and we were trying to follow him. Well, I guess when you don't know where you're really going, it's hard to lead anybody else there. <laughs> and this is this was to me it was sad. Uh, because if people want to say, well, you Christians that believe in the supernatural are very dogmatic, I say, yes, yes. And again, Lisa, my, my primary reason is not only scholarship, uh, but it's experience. Um, you know, I was on drugs. I was lost at the age of 21, going nowhere in life, just depressed. And while standing in a softball field, the Spirit of God came over me, and God spoke to me as he did Moses and said, I want you to come out from among them and separate yourself, for I've called you to preach the gospel, and you will see the world. I mean, I cannot put into words. That's an ineffable experience when you really experience God. So as I told the scholars at Georgetown, um, I might have believed it too, but it's too late. I've already experienced the real power of God, so I know the Bible's true. I know God works miracles. Yes, miracles. I believe in miracles. I've experienced miracles. I've seen divine healing. I've experienced divine healing. All, all of that really. And I said, it's a poor Christianity that exits Jesus, that leaves Jesus out and his mighty power. I feel sorry for the people who spend all the money in seminary, university, getting an education that does not 
express or believe in the power of God when it's so real. Amen. Uh, and But on the other side, Lisa, I think those who do believe in the power of God still have a responsibility to pursue scholarship, to be analytical. You can do all of that and be, you know, believe in the supernatural, and it doesn't hurt a thing. It just fortifies our position, like archaeology. I would, I would propose to all of your listeners uh, that what's called the Archaeological Biblical Review is a great magazine to subscribe to uh, because they keep on finding things that show that the Pentateuch and Moses' writings are truly the Word of God, and, uh, you know, they're, they're not myths, they're not made-up stories. It is true. Christianity is true history, true human history under the auspices of God. Amen. Well, thank you, Dr. Gaten. Is there anything else you want to leave with our listeners or any resources you want to suggest? Yes. Um, other than Dr. Albright himself and his writings and the Biblio- Archaeological Biblical Magazine, I would suggest to anyone that for a starting point, uh, a book that we give out to all our students in private Christian school as they graduate from high school going to most likely a secular college. There's a book written by Josh McDowell called The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. And uh, this becomes a great resource book because Josh McDowell is what we call an evidentialist. So he just gathers all the evidence, puts it in a book, and Nobody could remember it all, but then it becomes a great resource book. He is a man that has spoken in many, many colleges, so he writes from an academic level, and I think everybody would find it a good read. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Gayton. I really appreciate it. Well, thank you for the opportunity to share the truth. (laughs) All right. Talk (laughs) to you later. Okay. God bless. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Jude 3 Project podcast. You can catch all our past episodes at www.jude3project.com backslash podcast. You can follow us on iTunes by searching Jude 3 Project. Also, you can follow us on Twitter at Jude 3 Project, on Instagram at Jude 3 Project, and on Facebook at facebook.com. Um, backslash Jude 3 project and remember you can donate on our site so if this um, this podcast and this ministry is a blessing to you help support us financially um, by going on our website at Jude3project.com and hitting the donate tab um, and donating consider donating to us thank you so much remember at the Jude 3 project we're helping you to know what you believe and why you believe it